everyone. Welcome to episode number 67 of the New Slang Podcast. I'm Thomas Mooney, and today I'm joined by Texas singer-songwriter Austin Mead. Austin was in town earlier this month, and we caught up for this interview. He has this new record coming out called Waves. It comes out at the end of the week, actually. Um, he recorded it with Elijah Ford, who, if you're unfamiliar with Elijah, he's done some work with... Well, you probably mostly know him from his work with Red Shahan, but he's also has some solo work and worked with other artists as well. Um, Austin, you know, he's put out a few projects in the past, a full-length record and a EP, and all and like all songwriters and bands, it's been a process to find his sound. Uh, it's kind of like putting all these little puzzle pieces together, but it's also kind of like figuring out how big some of the puzzle pieces should actually be. Um, this is really just like a long way of saying that that on this record, Waves, uh, Austin really is starting to find that that perfect mix. He's uh, it's a, it's just a really really good place for Austin as far as a record goes. And um, with Elijah at the helm of, of producing this record, they really create this sonic adventure for Waves. You, you have a whole lot of uh, shimmering guitar tones and uh, they're really crunchy at times it's really hard rocking on a lot of places but Austin still like he's he has that singer-songwriter mentality he's uh, expanded more I think on his songwriting you see a whole lot more uh, rambling like storyteller kind of things going on it's a really excellent record uh, we obviously go into a lot of detail about the making of the record here, so I won't just continue talking about the record. Um, one note, we did re- record this at Blue Light, and there's this little faint alarm that starts going off at some point during the interview. It's really, really faint, but it was going off in the office, and somebody had opened that door and then never closed it. And so you may hear that hope it doesn't really, really bother you, but yeah, let's just go ahead and get into this interview with Austin. Yeah, so um, you have a new record coming out pretty soon, March 1st, right? Yes, March 1st. Yeah, you did that with Elijah. Elijah and uh, the whole same team that did uh, Reds. So, like, how, I guess, like, take me through the process of how'd you get in with those guys and. Okay. Start yeah. getting into. So, I met Elijah um, Ford from my last EP in 2016. He had met um, Jay Saldana. And I knew Jay from when he played drums for Will and then right. Wade, and we kind of hit it off just as buddies after the shows. And then he talked about how he was producing, and he showed me the No Dry County stuff, and I was like, oh, dude, that sounds super rocking, and I really dug what he was doing. So I said, do you want to do an EP with me? And he said, well, heck yeah, man. And, and then he said, well, I, met, I just met this guy named Elijah at a show the other day, and I was wondering if you know, you'd consider having us both co-produce it. So I said, dude, that sounds rad. Send me Elijah's stuff. And then I was a super big fan of his because he was more out there, out of the scene as mm-hmm. far as the Texas country thing. He was totally disconnected from that. Right. Uh, super rock and Americana. And um, his stuff just sounded different. Like, had a little hint of Arctic Monkeys in it, you know. And 
that's like one of my favorite bands. So we did the EP with both those guys, and then um, I just kept in touch with Elijah, just as friends, and I got ready to do the next record, and I really, really dug Red Shahan's stuff, like his first, you know, kind of solo record after the Six Market thing. Yeah. And um, I wanted to do it with do my new record with those guys because I wanted it to sound like that. I wanted it to sound real and old school like just intimate kind of thing and that I feel like with with his records it sounds like you're standing right beside the ride symbol you know yeah. it's, it's not really like processed and it doesn't sound like it went through a bunch of computer stuff but anyways so um, talked to Elijah and he said I'm working with these guys in Fort Worth and Grant Jackson Wilburn is a guy that engineered and mixed and mastered all that and um, I don't know man that's kind of just how it all came together and then they, you know, said, yeah, we want to work with you because you've been playing a ton of shows and they like to see guys that are working all the time. So, yeah, man, we recorded it and then um, been sitting on it for a couple months just kind of waiting for the right time. I didn't want to release it at the end of last year because right. everybody leaves for the holidays and this and that. And then there was, like, an absolute flood of new records in January. Yeah. So, it's, it's almost like if you release a record in December all the way up to probably... The beginning of November, mm-hmm. it, it you may as well just wait till the next year because yeah, all these like end of the year lists are coming it, out and it's it just yeah. kind of a and that's why that's why I did it because I didn't want to stamp 2018 on it and then be like, well, in two months it's gonna be old news. Right. But the funny thing is, I was talking to Cody Canada about this and he said Ragweed always released in the winter time. Really? Yeah, because they would get a, this is when people were buying hard copy CDs. Yeah. So a, a Christmas <laughs> present most of the time they'd go buy a Ragweed CD. Right. And they gave it to their buddies and they'd be super pumped about it. I and, can see that being the case because I remember always getting like Garth Brooks records for Christmas. Yeah. Like and I, looking something back now. Physical, right? Like, yeah. Now, yeah. how, how would it be if you, like, you emailed, like, your dad on Christmas? You're like, hey, I just sent you a digital download, Dad. Yeah. And he's like, oh, thanks. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's fun. Thank you so much. Right. But it's not like a personal thing where you can physically hold it as much anymore. Yeah. Um, I think that's honestly part of the reason why vinyls come back. Is yeah. because it's the big art. It's, you can... Feel it's, it. It's massive, obviously, and, like... There's a little bit more artistic touch to being able to put that record out. You well, you know? have you to can, be invested in it as a listener. Yeah. Like you got to buy, uh, you got to buy the record play. You got to buy the speakers. You yeah. have to physically go get this big thing and stick it on there and sit in that room. Yeah. It's not like you're gonna be, hey man, I'm gonna put this on in the car and then doing it while you're going to and from. Like you make an event of it, almost like watching yeah. a movie or something. And uh, I'm pumped because this is our first record that we're gonna put out on vinyl. So yeah, we'll see nice. how that goes. But I should have those in just a couple of days and putting up some, like, pre-order merch packages and all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. I know, like, that's something, too, that's really cool is the, when you start getting, like, the press recordings, like, you know, those first waves of, like, yeah. oh, is there any mess-ups on it? And those are all, you know, that's a special process of yeah making a, a record that you don't necessarily do with the CD of, like, well, yeah, let me just check. The, yeah, it sounds like a CD. Yeah, but. yeah, for sure. And I, I got a couple test presses, and I went to a couple different buddies' houses just to listen to it. and So I kind of tested it out on a whole bunch of different systems yeah. just to see what it was like. I A-beat it with a bunch of petty stuff just to see how it sounded different. But our the record is not quite as, like, on the vinyl. I noticed that it's not quite as loud. Yeah. It's like, it's a 
minuscule difference, you know, but um, but it sounds way deeper than a lot of the older records. There's a lot of depth to it with the bass and the drums and everything and the keys. So, I don't know, I'm, I'm totally new into the vinyl world as a listener and a consumer, but, you know, as far as the making music thing, I'm, I'm still coming out of my green stages, but I put out my first record in 2014, and I put out like an EP and a full record then, and then the next next thing I released was 2016, Heartbreak Coming, and so it's been about two and a half years since yeah. I've been able to put something out there. Yeah. So. The thing, okay, you mentioned obviously Elijah, working yeah. with him, and the Red Records, um, and Grant, and um, something, there's something special that's happening with those guys. Uh, I know that like Paul Paul and Ryan Tharp, it's kind of sort of in the same camp, but like they had done like Grant, uh, Grady Spencer's record. Yeah. And um, I feel like there's such a, like this is going to sound strange, but I think that some of those records you can kind of like hear a color with. Yeah, like that, with, with, that's what attracted me to Reds. Yeah, with Red, I think like you can hear like a, a desert kind of yellow to it, to me. Um, and then with like when Grady put out his record, I thought it was like kind of like the, a forest green kind of yeah. feel. Well, it's all about how they market it too, and it's really cool how you can use that marketing, whether it be you know social media or physical, you know merch and copies like you can use people's like own um, senses like you know their sight and their mm-hmm. their you know their hearing and um, they can see and like feel the, the the product as a whole you know so I hope when people look at us they kind of feel like that old school yeah. you know integrity um, and that's what drew me to working with those guys is that like I said I felt like I was there was something different about that than a lot of the other things. And Grady's one of my favorite people in the yeah. world, dude. He's so funny and such a good dude. We actually just played with him last weekend at a Magnolia Motor Lounge. He he sold that sucker out. It was like 400-something people in there. It was nuts. Yeah. But, um, he's, yeah. Obviously, he's he's super into the Instagram story. I know. He cracks <laughs> me up, dude. He's so good at that. Yeah, he, he cracks me up. I tell, I tell everybody he's my favorite dad in the world. He's like the world's <laughs> yeah. best dad. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I'm excited for him, too. He's been working on some new stuff, and yeah. I've been able to hear about some of those stories, and I think he's got a really great thing going as well. His band is so killer. Yeah. So good. Like, and you just show up, and people are like, oh, cool, Grady Spencer, and then his band slays it, bro. Right. Dude, I've heard some of the, the new stuff, and... There's a couple songs that I've been like, dude, if this isn't like in a on a, a Budweiser commercial next year or something like, <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. know, because like I don't know, he just has a. It's it's kind of crazy seeing how much he's changed over the years because he's you know he lived here in Lubbock for a long time mm-hmm. and he's got probably. I think he had like three other records before like Grady Spencer in the work. Yeah. And so for listeners, if you if you're unfamiliar, go find those records. But and he he cut them out here. Um but it, it's he's always had that little where it's not necessarily blues, but it's kinda like bluesy pop kinda. Yeah. Just that groove to it. Well, it's got that and, grit from his voice too. Yeah. And he never plays with the pick, it cracks me up. He's always playing with his thumb. Like I've never seen him hold a pick, and yeah. so that that kind of makes his guitar tone sound a certain way too. And um, 
but he's done it. He's a good example of somebody who, to me at least, is an outsider looking in. Like he's branded himself as his own honest way, and that's why you see those colors whenever you hear his records, right? right? Yeah. And it all kind of matches up with him. But so that that's like getting involved with guys like like that. And when I first met Red, he was really when you first meet Red, he's kind of like a closed off guy. Right. He's kind of mysterious, right? <laughs> he really is, and and. Um, then you meet guys like that and get to have, you know, more of a couple drinks with them here and there, and they start to open up. And um, Grady was the complete opposite. It was super funny. Like as soon as you meet Grady, he's just like the most vibrant, yeah, out there dude. Like just making everybody laugh. So ridiculous. But uh, I don't know. Being able to meet guys like that that are just honest with themselves, no matter who they are, is rubbed off on me a lot. That's back to one of my oldest friends and, and as far as the music thing goes like the Canada's were the first people that really gave me a chance to do anything mm-hmm. and Shannon and Cody are both like that they're both just like the most honest people if something doesn't work then they're just like hey here you go and if something works they're like hey awesome you know it's it's yeah there's no faking or really arguing with with them you know yeah um, and I think there's like so much to be said about working with people like that whether it be musically or working for them at a business you know and just being friends with them there's so many people that want to be fake and like meet you at the show and be like yeah 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 and then as soon as you as soon as you leave they're talking shit or something you know right i think that at least with like cody i think part of it is is that like that era of since they they established all of this shit it was less it sounds strange, but it, I think it was like less of the the business aspects of of branding, marketing, if you Absolutely. will. Absolutely. And it was just more about, hey, like these guys are really fucking good, and they're bringing a whole lot of people in. They're connecting to an audience, and I think it was. I think that's why, if you come from that generation of of songwriter mm-hmm. in this scene, you you didn't have to do all the. I'm sure, like, they would say, yeah, there was still some of that. Uh, but you didn't have to do as much of the politicking, I feel. Yeah. Well, it wasn't as flooded either. Yeah. So now there's a new band every week, and right. I- I'm sure I'm part of the problem, you know. But <laughs> I feel like I've waded out the waters over a couple of years, you know. But there's always a new band somewhere, and somebody else is always getting signed onto a booking agency or a management label. I mean... A lot of the business guys, they see something that looks shiny and hot at the beginning. They're like, all right, let me make some money off of it. They like to go jump on it. Right. And um, I've, I've heard, I've had a lot of conversations with Stoney. We've been lucky enough to play shows with him. They like us because we're more on the rock side. And they like to have rock bands and, like, funk bands, you know, kind of yeah. open up for them rather than your standard country stuff. And I've had conversations with him about business where he's like, man, I just thought about it and hoped it would happen, and then it happened. Like, wait, so you didn't plan any of this out, or you didn't, you know, he's like, no, I just, I just envisioned it in my mind, and he's really, like, he's a really self-reflective guy in that sense, Yeah. and he's like, dude, you just got to think about it and just make it happen, and to me, that's such a foreign idea, because, you know, I went to school for business, for agricultural economics, and this is my business now, like, doing right. this and touring and um, trying to create, and I, I was... I was talking to somebody about this the other day, like, the more that I've gotten into the business side and, like, the branding thing, I feel like I've become a lot less creative as far as a writer. And so I have to separate myself from that. It's so easy to stare at my phone and just, like, put it out there. And 
It, like, I don't want to waste all my good lines on Twitter. Like, hey, this is cool. Let me tweet it. Because that's right. so easy to get that self-gratification. Like, oh, I wonder if somebody's going to like this line. Let me tweet it out and see if I get 50 likes or yeah. some, some kind it's of retweets. It's just the... It's, it's so strange with... Especially because, like, all, everyone... In this business right here, it's almost all self-ran, right? You're the owner-operator, if you will. And so you have to have some business sense but it's easy to like I've talked with like Will Clark Green about this about how you know when you put a record out how in some time in some ways you have to like turn off the you, you find yourself turning off the artistic side and just dealing with how are you putting this record out and then it's you're trying to like figure out how to get back into the the, the writing side you know and, and yeah. it's easy to um have writer's block, if you will. Absolutely. And it, I don't know. It just. I've I've felt that way for a couple months now. We just started working on some new stuff that I'm super pumped about. But I was I've been so worried or not worried, but like so ready to get this record out, and it it's finally becoming a small weight off my shoulders. But dude, I'm still like, you know, create. I have a buddy Jimmy Heritage that's been like one of my best friends and super help along the way. But like we create the ads and and all the images and everything to go out and yeah. Um, it's it's so much bigger than just creating songs. And I know the song has to be good. Don't get me right. wrong. If the song sucks, it's not going to go anywhere no matter how good your marketing is. But some people just go, it just takes one good song. But it's like, dude, there are millions of good songs that are being created <laughs> every single, I don't know, couple months, right? And, like, the radio guys get flooded. Like, right. they, they get... They can walk into their desk and get 50 or 100 new CDs every week. Like, yeah. people trying to pitch them stuff. And so... It is about the music totally, and that's why I do it. But like Will was saying, if you don't have somebody to do that for you, to turn off that you know, artistic and turn on the business for a minute, then I don't know, you have to think about it differently. And with, with, with the Canadas, that's why Shannon is so good at what she does, because she's like business all the time. I've learned so much from her. She's fierce, man. Like, yeah. you know, nicest lady in the world, and people are scared of her I'm like why are you scared of her you know (laughs) she's so sweet and so kind to me and she's able to be that business side for Cody right and you know uh, he'll agree with me on this one he's like the luckiest dude in the world you know right with that but a lot of people don't have that you have to do that all in one person yeah um, until you get to the level of you know a manager picking you up or some kind of agent that can really take you on to the next level but it's so DIY where you've got to eventually get up there and make more money but until until like these agents see you drawing crowds of a couple hundred people here and there they don't care like they might like your music as a fan but it's a business man right. like, why are they going to pick you up if all you're going to book is $500 shows and then they're going to make you know 50 bucks off that when they could book somebody that's making 10 times that Yeah. so I'm kind of like just now figuring that whole side of it out and not I don't take it personally anymore. You know, at the beginning I was like, man, you know, we don't we don't have an agent. We've worked with some great managers, and now I'm doing everything myself. But um, it's so easy like, to get jaded by. Yeah, it is, and I still find myself sometimes having to tell myself, dude, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Like, you have an amazing opportunity, and if I look back, even at the last two years, dude, two and a half years ago we weren't even playing. We hadn't even played Green Hall yet. Now we play there like multiple times a year, and we've guys to do some unbelievable sold out shows there right. and that's been like our main fan base now is 
Um, we're talking about areas like New Braunfels and San Marcos area has been big. And then Lubbock's been great to us because we've been pounding it out here for right. four plus years. Um, Fort Worth's getting better for us, you know. Like we got a couple pockets here and there that are really starting to grow, but it, it's taken four years of showing up. And I do the first time I played Blue Light was with Randall King over Christmas break. He headlined on a Thursday night, and I came and opened for him acoustic. And I didn't get paid zero dollars. Yeah. I mean, dude, uh, I'm pretty sure there was like 11 people here, like. There was definitely less than 20 people here that paid for the show. Yeah. And, like, Randall had been doing it longer than me. You know, he's been doing it probably four years longer than I have. And so talking to him over the years, like, I just realized, dude, it's not personal. Like, it takes a long time to plant that seed. And not everybody's, like, an instant success. And people talk about, like, Co being an instant success. Well, the truth is, dude, I saw Co's band play whenever I – before I even played music. He was playing in Stephenville mm-hmm. at Bostock's whenever I wasn't even playing yet. Like, I mean, I played drums and guitar a little bit, but I had I didn't have my first EP out yet. Yeah. And I walked in and heard the band. I was like, hey, these guys are rock and roll, man. This is cool. I was like, who is this? And it was Co, right? And then a couple years later, we're playing up here, and he opened a show for us up here. Yeah. Um, right before he, he sent me that record that they put out, like, while we were on the way up here, and we listened to some of it, and it wasn't out fully yet. And then, so he opened up for us here, and then, dude, three months later, he's, like, headlining these massive things and just kicking ass, dude. Right. But even with him... Dude, it's an iceberg, basically. Dude, he's right? been... All there's... These, exactly. That's a great way to put it. That's what people don't understand is, like, there's no overnight success in no, any no. of this stuff. And and that's, to me, my big... My... Probably what I would say more than anything else is you have to... Uh, it, it's, it's a time thing. Yeah. You have to... Obviously, you're investing in your craft you're investing in these markets you're investing in all these aspects of of, yeah. of the business but yeah. it's also like you you can't be discouraged by that one show that sucked your first week you know what I mean and like dude it, I've had or, so many of those and, things and man people it, it, it does take out and, and that's a to me it's a it's a good thing that um people have bad shows because it, it shows the the line between if you really want to do this or not right yeah man and, and it cuts out a whole lot of the it's fucking easy who, to quit who, who want to be famous versus who want to make music exactly dude it, it is it's it's easy to quit i think the only way to get around that whole growing pain is if you've randomly got some amazing connection or you know a big a big agency picks right. you up like Sony or something yeah. and then all of a sudden you're on all these commercials and ads you just wrote that like you said the whole you can't just like write the one song but if you just somehow stumbled into that one song yeah and then in, but then, first, then you knew the one person that pitched to the one right person yeah. that pitched it to the two other right people like yeah. it would have to be such a crazy thing dude uh, one of our guys in the band he saw uh, Maren Morris back whenever she was playing like Shotzi's in College Station yeah. and there was only like 30 people at the bar entirely and everybody was hanging out outside she was literally playing to the bartender inside and my buddy walked in to buy a drink and was like hey she's pretty good man and he like went up there and bought a little CD from her whenever she had a, I think it was an EP or something and that was like whenever I was in high school or junior high or something like that and now you've seen what she's done. Amazing, right? Yeah. But, dude, how many of those, like, empty bar shots these nights do you have to have? But, I mean, when I started playing, I was playing in... Uh, my first gig ever was at a place in College Station called Poets Billiards. It was, like, a place that I did open mic at, and then all of a sudden they gave me the chance to do, like, a Thursday night 
it was like acoustic for three or four hours and you got paid like 50 bucks and I was right. like fuck yeah mom check it out I'm doing it and dude I did those for a couple months and played like Los Cucos and Mexican Grill you know like Tuesday nights they'd be like dude I'm gonna pay you 300 bucks to come play acoustic I'm like hell yeah dude you yeah. kidding me like I gotta pay rent if I get were, two of these in a month like what were your go to cause obviously you had to fill up with a bunch of covers and that yeah those like three hour gigs um, what was like some of your go to well, I, at the time, like, I didn't know Cody yet, so I played a lot of ragweed stuff. Um, <laughs> and then I played a couple Fulbright tunes. Um, he's always been one of my favorites. I played some Ryan Adams stuff and um, a couple Petty tunes. And then, man, I, I had a lot of original stuff at the beginning that I don't play anymore because right. clearly it sucked. But, like, I had a lot of original stuff that I was trying to do. And so if, if it was a four-hour gig, man, I'd put together, like, two to three hours of between bullshitting with the crowd and talking and then by the end of that gig dude nobody wants to sit there and listen to the same guy for four hours unless it's like Sean McConnell you know and so <laughs> and I, I'm nowhere near that so like I would just repeat songs at the end like my favorite ones to play or if, if you know my voice was going out I'm like what's the easiest to sing bro I'm going to that one you know yeah. <laughs> for, for a while <laughs> or sometimes if nobody's there I'm like dude I got like 45 minutes left there's like three people here fuck it I'm, <laughs> I'm like just gonna nicely put down my guitar and go hang out with the bartender and like have a drink and yeah. just kind of BS and make sure they feel good and have a good time and then slip out with my check. <laughs> That's how it was for like a lot of things at the beginning and I'm glad I'm past that. But you do you hit, you hit these like spots business-wise where some people get kind of offended because the venues that you used to play for X amount of dollars with the full band where you'd bring PA and all this shit, like you don't want to do that anymore. And so you eventually end up telling them no, and then somebody's butthurt about how, well, you won't play here, but you'll play there in town or whatever. And, right. Um, like, it's when the business thing kind of takes over, and then you're like, you got to kind of lay down the law, but nicely. But no, I don't want to, like, show up and play somebody's wedding for, like, three or four hundred bucks <laughs> and provide PA and deal with all those requests and shit when I could go play, like, somewhere badass in town on the same night. Yeah make double that and actually play in front of 500 people who care and are going to buy merch and like listen yeah. so the PA thing I know that uh, like there's uh, I've talked with Wade Bowen about how he said just the mere fact that he had a PA back in the day helped helped him out so much because a lot of yeah. these I think a lot of people don't understand that a lot of these bars that they go to today they didn't have sound systems like here in Blue Light, for example, I don't think they had like any kind of soundboard and any of this set up. You yeah, know? it sounds great. And you have now. to like, you'd have to bring your own shit in, right? And yeah, um, just having that was able. He was able to get so many more gigs out of it, you know. And, yeah. And I guess there's like, there's always that uh, point in your career where you're like, man. I don't want to have to like just have oh, to dude, be, like have the. I'm selling a ton of shit right now. If anybody wants to buy some stuff, like dude, <laughs> I just sold off actually like last week. Sold off like my monitors because now we're using in ears and some power amps and some cases and stuff. And I still got like a basic PA in case it's something that's really great money and right. We want to go do it and we have the off day, but man, I, I really started turning down a lot of those bring your own PA gigs yeah. lately and. Um, it's funny because sometimes if it's a venue that's not used to providing PA, you can get yourself into some real trouble because they'll hire uh, Billy Joe, yada yada, from right down the street that yeah. has two PVs and a soundboard from 1981, and you show up and you're like, well, "This is gonna sound like shit, bro." But then 
Yeah. Well, I didn't provide the PA, and then sometimes I just want to, you know, be like, okay, we'll provide PA, just give us a little more cash, and, and we'll do it. But a lot of those same gigs that, like, make you provide PA are also those, like, three- and four-hour, like, soul suckers. Yeah. And sometimes those are fun. Like, if you, if you really are enjoying, like, your band and everything, and you didn't have anything else better to do that night, hell yeah, I'd rather play. But at the same time, those gigs are also where people are going to be sitting down with their backs to you. Right. Generally. They're more worried about showing up and getting laid or getting drunk or drinking their sorrows away than they are actually, like, being a part of the music. And right. Every time I play somewhere, I mean, like, dude, we live in New Braunfels. We drove, we left at 5 a.m. yesterday so we could get to Amarillo to play Hoots. We did some TV stuff and some radio stuff there. And today was easy because we just came down from, from I mean, from uh, Amarillo. But, like, man, if I'm going to be couple hours away from the house like I don't know I just like play the gigs that count and really matter I think that's what Grady's really doing now I right. feel like Grady is he doesn't play a whole lot of places um, outside of his like zones where he knows he's going to draw a crowd yeah. because sometimes it feels like you're spinning your wheels man and it takes a toll after a while but you have to ride that line of keeping your band busy and paying them so they stay around but also not like dragging them to like shitholes all around the state yeah. or country I think like there's it's two things it's I know Grady and his camp are really into uh, looking at the Spotify numbers where are people yeah. where are people streaming my music right yeah and going and trying to play those markets but then also like uh, I think with, with guys like Red like he's trying to get uh, he doesn't want to be stereotyped as like a a Texas guy. Oh, absolutely. So you have to like get out of Texas and not be just playing the same ten markets. Yeah. Well, it's eight times a year, or whatever the case is. You know, you, you don't want to have to be th- that guy, right? Like the the cliche, stereotypical Texas country guy who plays. You know, it's easy to drive yourself in that hole because you can make some decent yeah. money doing it. But that whole crew with Red, like Elijah and Grant and Paul Paul. Dude, they're in it for the long game, yeah. you know, and I'm I'm an impatient person in general, and so I'm always trying to get stuff out and go, 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 go. That's all I want to do is just go, you know, and it's just how my personality is. And I'm starting to kind of chill out a little bit as far as that goes, but they're in it for the long game. So when I first started working with them, you know, they're like, we're going to record this record, and then it'll be out at this date. And they told me that, you know, Red had his record done for about a year. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck? A year, <laughs> and at, at the beginning, I couldn't comprehend. Like my my little mind couldn't comprehend right. the, that time period. Like, oh my god, dude! I've been doing this at the time I recorded the record. I've been doing this for like three and a half years or so. I'm like, it's gonna be a year. Like, I'm gonna be totally different and you know, grown out of those songs. And um, but it definitely you can tell the huge difference in my band in a year. And you have to like season it and go play all those bad gigs like you're saying, right. and see who's really sticking around. And so you know, so the drummer can learn how to hit the snare like he means it, and so the guitar player can learn not to go sideways on this solo, and so I can learn how to talk to people and not stare at my shoes. Mm-hmm. And that's like that's pretty tough. You know, it's easy to go to some corner bar gig where nobody's paying attention and stare at your feet and get paid 200 bucks, but you can keep doing that for the rest of your life, or you can try to like really connect with people, and that's. I think over the last year I've learned how to do that a lot more than than I did in the past. And I still have, you know, leaps and bounds to go with that. But there's been a big improvement, I think, in my entire camp of, like, making connections and, like, talking to people. And, like, you want to be friends with people, not just, like, this wall between 
fan right. and artiste. Yeah. So that's that's what makes like the Texas scene so amazing is that um, there is such a thin layer between fan and and artist where everyone in the bar thinks that they can get a photo that night. Yeah. If they want to get an which Instagram is photo. which is rad, yeah. and then some people like they do take advantage of that, and some people you got to be like, right. oh, bro, I got to get out of here. I'm sorry, yeah. but yeah. the majority of people, usually the people that talk to you like a regular human being, you don't have to worry about. It. It's the people that think you're some kind of superhero. <laughs> don't get me wrong; it's cool to have that little ego boost. Yeah. Like, would you mind if we took a picture? I'm like, fuck no, I don't mind. Like, come on, right. let's do it. Especially if you're like there supporting us buying merch and you paid for a ticket to get in. Hell yeah, man. Like, spread the word. Right. Um, But I can totally see where, like, after 10 years of having people do that, it'd be really easy to just kind of want to step away for a little bit and and breathe. And I think that's worn on people. I mean, we've seen, you've been keeping up with what's going on in the scene right now. Like, it can be really overwhelming to always have cameras in your face. And I, I don't even know what it's like for the guys above us. I mean, dude. We're at the point where we're selling a couple hundred tickets of Blue Light, and I'm fucking pumped. Yeah. And I couldn't imagine, like, people that are selling out thousand-person venues just constantly picture, sign, picture. And, like, at that point, it's, it's almost just, the opposite. Like, yeah. the fan doesn't think of you as a human being. They think of you as just this object that would make them... It's You're their, you're their ticket to the party. Or you're their right. ticket to looking cooler. And once that happens, then I'm not interested anymore. Like Yeah, you become a... Uh, I hope this gets a whole bunch of likes on Instagram. And what I've always said, too, is, like, you know, you you, uh, turn down the shot. Like, everyone wants a shot, wants to take a shot with lead singer or whoever, right, in the band. And we'll just multiply that by how many people are in the bar. Dude, my liver fucking hates me whenever I come to Blue Light. I'll tell you that. And (laughs) I mean, obviously, it's fun to do that kind of stuff. But it's also, like, where... There's a limit to it, right? And if you if you're saying like, especially like you know you can't, it, it's there's a bunch of guys who or just people in general who, hey let's take a shot and you've not even played yet, you know? Yeah. And you have, you gotta like, well I can't right now. No. Well, and then like you're the dick for. I always for wondered. It down and I always wondered why a lot of these bigger headliners don't show up until right before their show. Yeah. And then the more I like got into this I'm like aha okay right. that's the trick and Will was one of the first guys to talk to me about this because I mean you know his camp like dude those guys like to rage bro yeah I love those guys because they'll rage and they can hold their own but it's easy to do exactly what you're saying and go hang out with everybody and then all of a sudden you've got to play in 15 minutes and you're fucking hammered yeah and then everybody's not going to remember you for having a good time they're going to remember you for fucking up all night yeah. during your set um, what I've said too and I've, I've heard people say the oh you have your, your job is to play 90 minutes yeah and it's like no 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 no. like that's not the case at all your job is not a 90 minute job like if we're yeah. being perfectly honest probably like the 90 minutes on stage or whatever is like you're doing that for free it's yeah you're getting paid to load in you're getting oh, paid dude, for getting all paid that stuff right sit in the van and smell um, each other for yeah <laughs> but, but it's also like what I what I've said is like no you Let's just use Will as an example. Will isn't getting paid for 90 minutes. Like, that's not his his job description is not that 90 minutes. He's got to be Will 24-7. If he's at the grocery store, he's still William Clark Green. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and that's where I think a lot of people miss that. It's like, no, your job is like, 
if you're an artist is 24-7 essentially yeah and you know you don't want like a lot of people go up and they want to be whatever they want to buy you a beer buy you a shot um take the photo and it's 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 in a lot of ways just for the the water cooler talk at work on monday yeah hey did you see this photo i just got this photo with so and so and i mean imagine okay so we're talking about being an artist so imagine doing that but then also having to be your own manager your own booking agent your own tour manager right like where where are we sleeping tonight Who's on the guest list? Did we put up a post about this? Has the venue been promoting? Did we send posters? Did anybody order online merch this week? Shit, are we out of new koozies? Like, that's what I do. Yeah. So I'm just like, a lot of times it's a whirlwind of bullshit in my brain. Yeah. And so it, it's easy to be overwhelmed. And luckily I've had a couple of folks that have really been helping along the way. But we're still like, we're still looking for some of those pieces to put together. I mean, yeah. the booking agent thing is something that I've been surprised we've been able to overcome for these last couple of years because... There's people that still haven't been able to play the Blue Light or Green Hall that have been trying to for five or six years, and we just kind of lucked into some of these things. And um, I think that by being a little bit different, that people look in your direction a little more. Yeah. And by being, you know, decent at the branding thing and continuing to create and continuing to, like, pound away, I guarantee there's multiple venues that have let us play because they were tired of me just always popping up around. (laughs) And... Like, eventually, they just go, okay, okay, we got this open night, please go. And then yeah. they go, oh, we're pretty good, yeah. you know? So, it's like, that whole business side coupled with the artistic thing. And then when do you find time to write, dude? And then when somebody's drunk at the bar and says something that you think is a really good one-liner, you're like, dude, I got to remember that. I got to put this down on yeah. my phone or whatever. And then you got to take yourself back to that place as a artist and writer and creator. Like, oh, dude, are we, like... Am I able to like turn this into a song idea or what? And yeah, I don't know, man. There's there's a lot of things, and then you're not even talking about your personal life. Do you have any relationships <laughs> and family and friendships? I got a dog that comes with us every weekend. You know, like yeah. I got to make sure he eats and goes to the bathroom and <laughs> sneaks into the hotel with me at night. And um, I don't know, dude. Life just gets like crazy, overwhelming a lot of times. And I mean, you're doing the same thing. You're talking to all these people all the new chapters in your life recently right yeah I mean your head's probably spinning too um, well that's it, to me like I, I've I've gotten to the point of like I, I think for starters in all of this stuff you have to be there has to be some ounce of talent right yeah. and, and then it's like the hard work and then it's um, just the waiting out like in like being more persistent than anyone else mm-hmm. and then luck you have to have some kind of luck and yeah obviously i think like being nice goes a long way too yeah um you have to be so super talented to be an asshole basically right yeah like for that to be the leeway but um yeah i think like you just i for me i i'm like waiting out people you know because i've seen a lot of people start music vlogs and try and do writing stuff and they stop because it's it's you know, it, it's not as... Uh, it was easier to quit. Yeah. It was easier to quit, Yeah, you, you're able to, like, go, shit, man, this is um, this is hard, you know? Yeah, dude. Um, and I think, back to the part about being an asshole, it's, it's, so, it's so hard to get to the point where people actually look at you and what you're doing, and then it takes a fucking split second for them to think that you're a complete asshole, and that they tell all their friends... I mean, dude, I've had people 
say things like, like for people that we open for that I look up to that I think are the nicest people ever, well, so-and-so couldn't take a picture with me. They're a fucking asshole. I'm Mm -hmm. like, dude, you might have asked him while he was, like, thinking about all these things that I just went over in my brain. Plus, he's about to go on stage in, like, two minutes, and there's no set list on stage, or his guitar string broke, or something, like... But even, like, like the little thing, hey, can we take take a selfie? And he's like, let's do it in a bit. And they're like, "Ah, fuck this guy. He didn't have time for me. It's easy as a... Especially after you've had a couple drinks at the bar as a fan, it's easy to be like, I can't believe they wouldn't give me that time of day. Yeah. Some guys are straight up assholes. Don't get me wrong. No, no, of course, yeah. But it's so easy to be called that and like perceived as that just in an instant and yeah. I think the bigger that you get the more people want a piece of your time they want to take that shot and if you don't and they kind of get rubbed the wrong way so you're like yeah it, you got to ride that line between being mysterious and and exclusive and still like connecting with people and I'm still trying to figure it out man I mean I I like to hang out and drink apple burns and have a great time I mean I mean I'm running sound tonight for for Charlie's set because Casey's the sound guy and he's playing drums for him. You know, right. I just sound check the drums for him and I love doing stuff like that. But at the same time, you, you like spread yourself so far. So I got a set list in front of me that's not even done yet. Yeah. And you know, a book of songs that I'm still trying to figure out what we're using and whatnot. But um, I'm about to be 26 and I think like the to-do list that I thought I was going to be accomplishing just keeps getting longer because new things come along and right. I'm just trying to figure out what do you shed and not worry about like say hey the time has passed for me to worry about this stop worrying about this friendship or this little thing that you're going to do to the house whatever it is and just like really focus on what you're doing because it's easy to tread water and try to make everybody happy and I'm terrible about that I'm like fuck somebody's gonna be upset with me or I'm not you know and then all of a sudden I'm like two weeks later didn't matter right but I wasted like three or four of my days trying to figure that out and just fretting about it and worrying about it or you know yeah um taking back to the studio did you guys was this like a like a I don't know like a week long thing or was yeah. it like did you guys yeah we were I'm assuming the, it wasn't like multiple trips over the course of a year or something um no so what happened was we rented out yellow dog studios down in wimberley um for like five days or six days Mm -hmm. it was funny actually no dry county was coming in the day that we left like to do theirs but um we rented it out yellow dog studios wimberley it was beautiful man like i could literally walk from the studio down to the river in between takes chill out you know and just look at the scenery and be secluded for a little bit and then uh, that's where we cut all the tracks. And then I, I had to go to, uh, I was in California for like a month and a half. And then I came back and I cut the final vocals and the harmonies. Um, at Elijah's, like, I think it is like uh, in-laws attic or something. They got like this little <laughs> bitty studio up there and we just went up there and, and just cut them. But man, other than that, like, I think that was it. I think we did a couple of little vocals in Fort Worth one weekend whenever there was a couple of things to touch on. But even that was, you know, all the music part besides vocals was pretty much done, like, or it was done within a five-day period. And then I had a couple months where I was, you know, I was gone, and then my voice changed a little bit. I, I feel like my voice got a little bit stronger. And now listening back to that, from when I recorded it to now, I'm like, damn, I feel like, my voice has progressed and gotten stronger. I got more control. It sounds a little bit more mature. So now I'm like, 
fuck, I want to recut it before we put it out, but you can't go back and do it. So, yeah, we did the five-day thing, knocked out a bunch of tracks. Dude, we knocked out, like, 14 basic tracks in, like, the first two days, which is crazy. Right. And then we got to bring in the Keys guy and Cody Angel on Steel. Um, uh, Keys was a, a Johnny from Uncle Lucius. Right, yeah. And, um, yeah, dude, I don't know. It was, like, it was fun, fun for me, and... What, what's like the what was the the thing that you were like, I not necessarily most excited about, but like the thing that, you know that, you did that was oh shit I've never seen this done before and we just put this on a song, like was there anything like that? Dude, there's a lot of moments like that on this record. There is a shit ton, and that's why I like working with Elijah is because you can usually push it a little further with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he'll kind of push me in another direction, and he's like me. He's just like upfront and honest. He was just texting me earlier today about a, a news TV thing that we did yesterday, and he was like, hey, uh, don't turn your chorus pedal on until the bridge for that song. I'm like, all right, I'll try it out. Like, But we're not yeah. like, hey, man, like the, the beat around the bush, you guys yeah. sounded really good, you're a good guy, but you yeah. shouldn't turn your chorus pedal on until... <laughs> I hate that shit, like, just be honest, and that's how I'm with my band. Like, dude, here we go. So something was wrong, let's do it. But back to these moments on the record, dude, okay, the, the title track, Waves wasn't even a song until two days before i came in with this like beginning little guitar run and the chorus and that was it and then i was like hey i got this idea and i think this could be cool all of a sudden it turned into like this six minute title track on the record um there's a song on there that i'm really proud of called coming down Mm -hmm. and it's fucking trippy bro it's just really I, i i started the idea of the song um, it was finished by Shane Baker, my old guitar player that is now with American Aquarium. Yeah, but, he played uh, on the record too, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he played on the record. Um, he's been like my favorite co-writer and like confidant musically for a long time. My new guitar player, David Willie, is badass. And now, like, it's funny how I feel like God just kind of dropped him in my lap whenever Shane went to go his new direction. We kind of wanted to go more rock and roll, and we picked up a guitar player that is, he was from a metal background, so he's got like heavy tone and yeah. Kind of goes that direction, but um, yeah, coming down has some really cool moments, just because it's really trippy. And there's some instrumental parts on the record that I feel like really set it apart. That we weren't scared to see where it would take us and see where it would go. And um, it's kind of there's a couple of little like felt like wormholes. We're like, hey, how weird can we make this guitar sound? Yeah. Okay, let's keep going. Okay, let's keep going. Okay, bring it back a little bit too far. Um, but the fact that the title track wasn't even a song until like day or two before it was pretty amazing to me and then um i wrote some of these songs i only told a couple people about this but i, I wrote some of these songs to be like back-to-back stories so i wrote this song called payphone it's a second track on the record mm-hmm. it's a rocker it's about you know like i've always had some obsession with drug cartels and people that launder money and these big businessmen that are living on the edge all the time like they're running a business dude but they're uh like doing anything they can to keep their family safe at the same time so I wrote this song Payphone on there about a guy who is smuggling some some blow around and he's married with kids but then his little side chick escapade she's going to tell on him so he ends up killing her and burying her under this oak tree okay so last the last verse of the song Payphone he's he doesn't want to raise his kids behind bars so kills his girl, bears under an oak tree, he burns down his house, runs, and flees, right? The very next song on the record is one that um, was brought to me by Shane called Savannah. And 
band, Savannah is a song about going and finding this girl right. that you've been wanting to find for a long time, and you're like, oh my god, I haven't, I've been looking for you for so long. You eventually find her, but she's already happy with somebody else in somebody else's arms. And so I wrote Payphone to be about killing Savannah because she was putting you in a bad position, everything was going to go downhill from her, and the very next song on the record is like about the same people, but totally different storyline, and um, it's, it's dark, but um, he goes back to find Savannah, and she's happy with somebody else, so he ends up hanging himself on the same oak tree that he had just buried her under in the song before. Right. So, I don't know, man, I like to write shit like that. Who knows if anybody hears the record and they, they, <laughs> they think about that, but like, I want to put out a music video that's a two-parter that shows, oh, shit, that's where the dots are connected. Yeah. There's a couple of ones like that. There's a song called Lift Me Up on the record. The very next song is called Coming Down, so it's like these little bitty... Bookend kind of... Yeah, yeah. And they're both sad songs. Lift Me Up's not a happy song. It's about people toying with your time and wasting your time, and then coming down is just like feeling like shit after all that, whether it be coming home from a show and... You're worn out, man, or being worn out from somebody's friendship or relationship. Or right. I wrote coming down when I was driving home at like 4 a.m. Just like, oh my god, I should pull over, but I got shit to do at home, and just one of those moments where you're like, fuck, dude, why did I put myself in this situation? Right. So, a couple things like that on the record that I was really proud that, at least in my mind, they came together. Um, and then Seven Letters is the first song on the record. It's the one that, if you go pre-order it right now, you get that one uh, immediately. And uh, Seven Letters, I actually wrote the song when I was leaving Lubbock to go play in Oklahoma City before Wormy Dog closed. I played here um, and was going to OKC, showed up to Wormy Dog, and the bartender there, he um, was pissed that they had just found out that night that it was going to be one of their last nights open. Like management didn't tell them or anything they're just like hey man this is your last week to work and then you're out of a job long story short this bartender took out a bunch of money from the cash register called up his drug guy bought a bunch of blow and then like literally I'm playing an acoustic show dude and, yeah. and he's just lining he's just railing it off the off the bar top <laughs> while he's serving drinks like it wasn't even like really well hidden it was like right behind the cash register and I'm just thinking dude get me out of here I don't want to be involved with this kind of like right. legal shit I'm in another state come on man I'm like by myself an acoustic thing I didn't have anybody to like help me out if anything weird went down so I'm just like trying to finish my set and then get paid in cash and get the fuck out of there <laughs> and so I wrote I wrote this song Seven Letters it's written to sound like it's about a girl um, there's actually a line in there uh, Queen of the Lubbock bar scene yeah so I, um, I wanted people to think that it was either about Lubbock you know or about a girl seven letters in her name but it's actually cocaine yeah and And, uh but I didn't want to like write that and then send it out on radio and radio guys like what do you mean this is about go I can't play this on my on my station so um it's written to sound like it's about a girl but it's definitely about that crazy motherfucker at wormy dog you know so I know these are all like stories that I, I I feel like I'm just proud of being able to put together some of these stories and and then to go back to that spot mentally where I was when I wrote that, I feel like we were able to create that feeling and those colors through the guitar tones and, yeah. and everything. So I don't know, man. Uh, there's a lot of stuff on there that I wouldn't have been able to push towards if I didn't have guys like Shane and, and Elijah. Yeah. And dude, Yellow Dog has like a badass selection of amps, so you can crank it to fucking 12 and let it rip, bro. Yeah. There's nothing cooler than just 
sticking your head next to it. <laughs> Elijah, I, I think like one of the ways I've described his playing on on Red's record is it's his tone has a little bit of a shimmer to it. It's like a shimmering kind of mm-hmm. metallic kind of feel. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, he has a really good way of mimicking, I think, the mood of the song with his mm-hmm. playing. He's not he's not going to be the guy that's going to go play 50 notes in a four right. bars. Right. He's going to give you like six notes that really mean a lot. He's going to stick them in your face just st- you know. Right. And that that's why I really looked up to him because I always want people to play solos that are singable. Just like my, my melodies and my lyrics, I want people to be like, oh yeah, I got that song stuck in my head. I think it should be the same with guitar parts. It should be like Mike Campbell-esque. Mm-hmm. And he was the king of that. Like, he's not playing anything out there that's unbelievably hard. Yeah. I mean, I teach down at School of Rock, and I could teach a lot of these kids a lot of Mike Campbell solos. Right. Um, if we sat down and just worked it out for a little bit. But the fact that you're able to use your mind to create those things that are so, like, just sticky, you know, yeah. and they just make you come back to it. Right. That's that's something that Elijah's able to do. He actually played bass on this record, and that was one of the best decisions that I think was made. Is It was a last-minute thing. Um I was going to have my whole band play on it, and then last minute we had a change in the lineup, and I was like, dude, Elijah, can you please play bass on this? Because he didn't like to play bass and produce a lot of times. At the, and so we got to kind of shoo him into it, but I'm telling you, man, the bass on this record, it really took it up to the next level. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, he's something else, dude. Yeah, I he's agree. Else. I think it's, uh, I listened to it, they sent me the record like last week, and so I've listened uh-huh. to through it a few times. Uh, right on. I always just love, like my my record listening process is always like, throw it on while I'm doing other shit, and then let it play a few times through that way, yeah. and then like do the, okay like let's listen to it, like let yeah. me just sit here and like listen. Uh, I feel like I don't know. That's how you, for me, that's how I'm trying to, I guess absorb a record. I know a lot of people, they're just like. Eh, I'll just throw it on and yeah. Hope I hope hopefully I get it or something. But yeah, I mean, anything. I mean, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. Anything catch your ear on there that you were like? Yeah, I really liked uh, Brooklyn. Um, I remember that Lubbock line, and there's another line about uh, I can't remember what song it was. I'm really always bad with song titles. Is um, talking about going out into the woods behind your parents' place. Oh, that's on Coming Down, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's like, a patch of woods out in the back of my parents' house. I'm getting like, lost and trying to find your way back. Yeah. And then uh, I lo- I-, I thought like that was really, really good. That Maybe. was actually the line from Shane. Oh, really? And, yeah, Brooklyn was, um, Brooklyn was a song that Shane's had for a while. Um, the girl that he's married to now, they had been dating, and then she moved off to Brooklyn for a while, and it didn't work for him, and then all of a sudden she came back, and he, he wrote this song, and we changed a couple little things on it, um, but that was an idea from him, and th- that's that's why I'm going back to talking about Shane, man, like, he's such a talent, and he's been such a good friend all the time, I mean, like, I can bounce all these ideas off him and just be like, hey, dude, um, are we... Are we going in the right direction with this? Did this catch your ear, or what do you think? And mm-hmm. when I wrote, I wrote, you know, the tagline for coming down. I could feel myself coming down. I could feel my mind running around. Sent it to him, and he just kind of helped me take it to a completely different direction than I thought it was going to be about originally. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, didn't know if that song was supposed to be about, you know, a girl or like about. I wrote it originally about coming down off 
you know, shit, I was drinking and, you know, you had whatever fun party dabbling you've been doing and then you feel like shit the next day, man. And yeah. I'm like, I hate that feeling. Even sometimes whenever you haven't been doing anything bad, you've been a good boy, but you're driving home at 4 a.m., you know, you're like, fuck. Yeah. And so it started out that idea and then I was like, maybe we should write this about a relationship or I can feel myself coming down off this relationship and he's like, no, quit being a little bitch. And so he just, you know, <laughs> that that's kind of just how the friendship is, man. Um, but... Yeah, Shane's something else, too. Yeah, I'm going to throw this one at you because um, I've been thinking about it for a while. And I remember talking to Shane about this band. And I think this is something that I think has started to rub off on a lot of Americana fringe bands, country fringe bands, whatever you want to say. Um, do you think there's been, like, an influence on country music and Americana from the war on drugs? Man, um... Yeah, I guess it depends who you who is playing because Shane's one of those guys who doesn't listen to any of this scene. Yeah, he's out there digging into new stuff all the time, and I think the War on Drugs was like a good example of guys that. I mean, listen, their band name first of all, they're kind of giving you two middle fingers, and, right? You know, to begin with, and yeah, I think that a lot of their uh, they're not really scared to do whatever they want yeah. on it and just take it out there and. Um, the, the guitar tones. Because I think there's like there's more atmosphere on records these days. Absolutely. In the last few years. Yeah, and it also depends, you know, again, who you're having on guitar. I mean, mm-hmm. Josh Serrato is like the king of the Strymon pedals, right. and that's like that very atmospheric um, kind of feel. Shane does that really well too. We were talking about how Elijah has that shimmery yeah. kind of thing. Hell, even tonight, Charlie Stout's using some little pedal for his acoustic. That's kind of like that. Yeah. Space Cadet Central. But for me, I'm a big fan of like those 80s tones. So. What, I think they, they play into a lot of the 80s tones too. Yeah. We're on drugs. Yeah, absolutely. Like I just got a, a Boss CE something. It's like a 1985 chorus pedal from Japan, like a mm-hmm. green label. I use that way too much. Like I was talking about with Elijah earlier, he saw the news thing. He's like, hey man, don't turn on your chorus pedal until the bridge. It's like, but I fucking love it. I just got it. Yeah. Like, I would have used it on every song. <laughs> yeah. uh, but there's a lot of bands like that, I think, that kind of been pushing the limits. And I don't think that they were necessarily pushing their limits to begin with because they weren't in this form or shape right. or anything. I think that in our like family or genre, or whatever you want to call it, that more people are just like getting tired of being the cookie cutter. Yeah. It's easy to go make money and be the cookie cutter, but then they forget about your name like in two years. They're like, yeah. so and so had a great record. It sounded, it sounded just like, you know, there's the so many people record. trying to be, <laughs> there's so many people trying to be Randy Rogers and Cody Johnson right now. Yeah. There's there's no other Randy Rogers. There's no other Cody Johnson. Right. So don't try to be him. Like, yeah. you can't. I just, I, um, I think even like a band like, uh, did you listen to the last Lucero record? I didn't. No. There's more atmospheric tones. There's more uh, of a, a psychedelic taste to that record that than that I thought than I would have expected walking in. Yeah. To, you know what I mean? Um, and I think that like there's some of that stuff on Red stuff. You can hear it on you. Um, Interestingly, I think like there's on on American Aquarium's Wolves record mm-hmm. has a whole lot of it, and I think it's because um, I remember talking with BJ about this. I know they they recorded part of that record uh, at 
whatever the the studio is in Asheville that uh, Asheville North North Carolina where uh, War on Drugs had recorded some of that oh, really? first record at that's cool and I think that like one of the guys who worked on that record had engineered part of that stuff that they had done he put that little so, seasoning on that thing yeah not that I, salt <laughs> I think they, like there's a little like it's starting to bleed over and I think it's such a a great aspect of, of music yeah you know, uh, the No Dry County record has a whole lot of atmosphere oh yeah so I dig it I think that it's it's good to hear the space and yeah you know I mean to be a musician you really should respect silence because that's that's your canvas that you're painting on you don't have to be banging out chords on a right on on the old six string, you know. Like you can let that thing breathe a little bit, boy. But there's technology plays a big part in that too. There's so much technology that makes it so much more easily accessible for anybody to get these cool yeah. guitar tones. I mean, yeah. talk to Grady. He just got rid of his amp and he bought this like little modeling amp. So it's not actually a speaker. It's like a pedal board with this little head, and um, he plays with that. And he first hooked it up like last week at Magnolia, and I was like. Oh, going all digital age now, because dude, I just have a Blue Junior that's like kind of decked out, and I cranked that sucker. Yeah. He's like, man, I had to buy it because there was like so many options of sounding different sounding amps within this, and he said it's made a huge difference on him, like not having to lug around some 50 pound mammoth and not be worried about being too loud in some of the smaller venues. Right. It's okay. So I was just thinking about it now. It's either. We've, I've misdiagnosed this as being a war on drugs thing, or it's in part also because of Sturgill. I think that too. I, I think mean, it, it very well just could be just Sturgill. Yeah. That's actually done all this. Um, but I like to think like the war on drugs has had a part in. <laughs> well, there's a lot of that like indie yeah. rock and alt rock and alt Americana that ties in with guys like Ryan Adams too. Yeah. And so that's all kind of like a family that's, you know. You got this family out here. We're kind of a little semicircle, kind of working that way together. But yeah. I don't think you have to like bring the whole scene with you. You can straddle between the two. I, mean, I love Raylan Baxter. He's one of my favorites, and I feel like he's kind of right there. Some people call him alt country, but I'm like, dude, he's like indie rock. Right. You know, he's like an indie rock songwriter. So much of like being called alt rock or or alt country or Americana is like based off of. Uh, where you grew up because yeah. I feel like yeah. no matter who you are almost in uh, if you were born in Texas they're going to call you country just because your accent I know it's a little bullshit too because there's I mean people will be like some people will post online sometimes would be like I just saw the most awesome Texas country show it was like so and so and so and so and I mean we just had somebody hey, have you seen Stoney's live show lately no I've not seen dude it in it's a like long time. it's rock yeah it's like rock and funk and groove and all this guitar solo and very atmospheric so whenever we play together it's like it's pretty much indie-ish alt you know I mean yeah. so you still got one chord song and things like yeah. that but even that dude he's got like uh like a phaser pedal on his guitar, all this, all this stuff, and somebody will post like, I, I love Texas country, and I just saw Stone Deloo and Austin Mead, and that's the best Texas country I heard, and I'm like flattered, but at the same time, I'm like, it yeah. wasn't really Texas, I mean, what, yeah. we, what do we call it here? And obviously he's from Oklahoma. Yeah, dude, yeah. <laughs> we had a guy at Green Hall, like, it was the last weekend of the year, we played Green Hall with him, and we got like, we played, like, we got two songs in, and they were rockers, and... Then it gets quiet for just a second after everybody finished clapping, and I was I was talking to the crowd. I was like, "Thank you guys so much for being here. This is awesome. Green Hall, so loud, whatever." And uh, you could hear this guy like three rows from me just go, 
playing some Texas country. <laughs> and and I like we started this song that was like wasn't country at all. And then you hear him go, well, fuck yeah. <laughs> I'm like, all right, man, whatever you think, like that's cool. If, if that's what it fits your ear, and yeah. you, that's how you want to describe it, potato, potato. Yeah. But I think. I don't think the fans care really what it's labeled. I think that it's kind of a snooty musician thing that we've fall, yeah, fallen no, into. I, I definitely think like it is a thing where we worry way more about it than the actual casual fan does, or yeah. just like the fan in general. They're like, I like the music. Um, and I know a lot of. I was. I've always been pretty. Like this is not Texas country. This is just something else. Have you guys ever heard of like other terms? But. Um, I, the journalist uh, part of me goes, well, how else do you do you want us to describe this music in a three word? How how else am I supposed to do it? I can describe it in three paragraphs, but like sometimes you only have space for that three yeah. word uh, genre label. You know, yeah, and some people word. don't want to read three paragraphs. Yeah. You're like, what's this band about? You're like. Alt rock country, and they're like, oh, give me more than that. What does that mean? Yeah. Or sometimes it'll be like, oh, you guys play rock and roll? Well, you guys know any uh, uh, any Slayer? I'm like, well, yeah, I know Slayer, but I'm not going to like whip that out in the middle of my set. Yeah. I should. But, uh, you know, or we've had guys that'll be like, you know, that will be sound checking, they'll be like, what, what do y'all play? And we'll be like, ah, kind of alt country or whatever. We can say Americana. And um, then all of a sudden, I'll be like, you guys, you want to play a George Strait tune? I'm like, yeah. I love George Strait, but that's not like my right. saddest. Randall can pull that off like yeah. nobody's business, but not I. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm more up the petty route of things. Yeah, so I hear you. That's the thing. It's like uh, you can't, in, in my opinion, uh, you see a whole lot of people who go like, "Oh, what are your influences?" And they list like 50 people, and you're like, "I, I think like that's no way." Like I think like you have like a sm- way smaller list, but it's okay to like other shit. Like that's not yeah. gonna be necessarily a quote unquote influence, if you will. Yeah, well, the word influence in general is kind of tough to, for me personally to, describe because, okay, if, if like take Petty for example, I listen, I listen to his stuff all the time, but it's like I don't go into every single song. I don't go into any song thinking like, hey, let me make this sound just like this Tom Petty song because right. I don't wanna be like a ripoff. <laughs> you know, but it's like I've also taken from the heavier rock side of guitar tones, and I'm not like out there trying to make everything sound like a fucking Maiden song. <laughs> or like I love John Mayer, but it's not like I'm gonna make this song sound just like Heart of Life, right? Or you know, yeah, or whatever. <laughs> this one's got to sound just like Gravity. It's not gonna work for us because it's already been done. So. It's hard to then one of those other lines you got to straddle. Who do you like? Who do you? Who are your influences? Like tone wise, and songwriting wise, and sound wise, and then how do you, as a musician? I don't want to like put myself up against those guys because, dude, I would love to say like John Fulbright is one of my biggest influences, but I can't write a song like him. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine trying to like sit down and pen a song and be like, what would Fulbright write? And then you just feel like a dumbass yeah. at the end of the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Like yes, I finally have it, and then you're like, oh, he would never write something this mundane or right. I don't think he thinks about it like that either. I think he just is being himself and yeah. doing it. And back to the genre thing, it's easy as a musician to feel like oh, it matters what I'm titled as and labeled as so much. 
but really it's like people coming to the door and paying whatever 10 bucks to see our show I don't care what they call it you know as long as they're having a good time and they feel some kind of connection with it like right we've done our job and I'm just gonna keep doing that no I mean that's there's only one Austin Mead there's yeah, only that I know one of. Tom Petty I, I guess yeah. I said that and then like now I just think of like <laughs> I sure I'm sure I can go on Facebook and like 18 of y'all will pop up oh dude there are some <laughs> other Austin Meads for sure like and it's so funny whenever people I had I had a guy that um he had like the domain or something for our uh, website but it was like some junior high kid that had all these weird ass <laughs> selfies and like posted up doing duck faces and shit and I'm like I pray to God that when someone hears my record and searches my name it does not go this doucher doesn't pop up first because I yeah. know somebody has searched like Austin Mead musician and then like it's that kid sitting behind a <laughs> piano singing a good Charlotte song or something right you know <laughs> you never know dude like there's so many people with the same names and that's why I would rather people come out to a show and shake my hand and dude, come on, man. Bring it on. But I think this record, Waves, is a, is a really great step for us in the right direction. And it's something that I'm proud of. And I'm ready for people to, like, I really want to show up and, like, have people know the songs right. that we've been playing for a while. Like, with my last uh, release, Heartbreak Coming, I had Born with a Broken Heart, Courage to Talk, Written in Stone, Feet on the Floor, and Meant for More. And I can show up now and basically be like, play Born with a Broken Heart. And people will say, play Courage Talk. That's fucking badass. Right. So, like, show up to a town, especially if it's somewhere we don't know, we've never been there before, and, like, show up in Kansas, and even if ten people in the crowd are singing along, like, holy shit, somebody has heard this through Spotify or their friend or something. Like, right. how is this possible? It's not... It's, it's easier to access now than it was... 30 years ago but it's still a really cool feeling to show up and have someone can be connected to your music enough to like they want to hear that song yeah I, absolutely I mean hell even 5 years ago yeah 10 years ago yeah it's, it's kind of crazy but yeah I know I said this earlier like don't always just uh, you know take that first beer but you want to go grab a beer mm-hmm. <laughs> absolutely well yeah it's been great talking with you Thank you for coming on. Thanks for letting me ramble for however long we've been here. <laughs> I gotta finish out some set lists and uh, grab an apple burn and really get on stage.